The Old Testament lesson for today is from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. This can be found on page 152 of your pew Bible. Because of the Israelites' continued unbelief, God sent venomous snakes as punishment. However, God also provided a remedy for the poisonous bites in the form of a bronze snake on a pole prefiguring Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. A reading from Numbers chapter 21, beginning with the fourth verse. From Mount Hor, they set out by, by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, and they bit the people, so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Among all the stories of the athletes from the Olympics, there's one that has stood out the most to me. It's that of Michaela Schifrin. Perhaps you've seen it. 26-year-old American alpine skier. She was the favorite for the gold medal. After all, she won the gold medal the last Olympics and the Olympics before that. She arrived at this Olympics with all kinds of expectation of gold medal, podium, ceremony, But she started skiing down in her first event, and she took a bad turn and spilled all over the whole side of the mountain. She got up to race again in the next event. Same thing happened. In fact, until last night in the team's finals, she didn't make it down the mountain at all without falling. In the one that she thought she might pull herself back together and actually win the contest, she took a spill off the side of the course and she was so confused and bewildered that she just sat there on the side of the slope for 25 minutes while the television cameras were still fixed upon her, of course. She finally made her way down the hill with tears running down her face and they stuck a camera or a microphone right up on her to ask how she was feeling. I don't know if you saw that interview, it was fascinating. She was so out of sorts, she was so bewildered, she was so confused, she was almost speechless. She finally was able to put some words together, and she said, pretty much everything makes me second-guess the last 15 years. I'm rethinking everything I know about skiing. I'm rethinking everything I know about skiing, she said. Sometimes in failure, we discover new things. That's what Michaela Schifrin is discovering this Olympics. Not in success, often, but in failure. And that's true for us spiritually as well. When we realize we have not measured up 
It's when we learn new things, we rethink, like Michaela Schifrin said, about ourselves and about God. The title of our sermon series is Failure and Faith. And yes, we're still out in the wilderness in today's story. This is the longest sermon series ever. (laughs) Let's find out what happens with the people of God so that we might understand how it applies to our life as well. These new understandings we can have about ourselves and God, even in failure. Numbers 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. It's been 37 years since the people of God had escaped slavery in Egypt. They've been out wandering in the wilderness for 37 years. I imagine all the people in the back seat behind Moses saying, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Did you, read, did you hear what I just read? From Mount Hor, they set out, by the way, to the Red Sea. Max, can you show the map of where we are? To the Red Sea. Do you wonder if they're saying to Moses, um, excuse me, that's going the wrong way. Why would we go back towards the Red Sea? And it says they go around the land of Edom. This is where we are. Last week's uh, scripture, we were in the wilderness of Zin. That's where Moses struck the rock. Well, now we're making our way towards this area right here. Do you see that? Notice with me how far away the promised land is here. See the land flowing with milk and honey? All you got to do, Moses, is turn left. Turn left, Moses, and we're home. Let's go. But instead, they make their way this way, around the land of Edom. Now, there's a whole narrative in the Bible. You can go home and read it for yourself of why they couldn't go through Edom, why they couldn't just go that way. Uh, Do your own Bible study on that. In the interest of time, I'm not going to explain it. But I wonder what the people said. Actually, I don't have to wonder. Look what it says here in verse 4, the rest of verse 4. They went around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. I'll bet they did. Sometimes when we're driving out to Michigan on our road trips, I hear that voice from the back seat, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And sometimes I make a wrong turn. (laughs) Often what happens in my case is I exit before I'm supposed to exit. I get impatient and I just exit. And Nancy gets so mad at me when I make that wrong turn. Why are we heading towards Connecticut? We're supposed to be going towards Michigan. What's wrong with you? This is what the people are feeling in this moment. They turned right. Instead of left, and they got impatient along the way. So what do they do about it? Verse 5, the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. There is no food, and we hate the food. Isn't that kind of funny? It's like that old joke of the couple at the restaurant And you say, uh, how do you like this restaurant? And the wife says, the food is terrible. And the husband says, yeah, and the portions are too small. We hate this. There is no food and we hate the food. Or the person standing in front of their closet full of clothes saying, I have nothing to wear. (laughs) Those who are laughing know you've done that. So have I. Now, what are they referring to here? Let's go a little deeper on this. We haven't talked about this in our sermon series, but God gave manna to his people the entire 40 years out in the wilderness. They're referring to the manna. There is no food, and we hate this loathsome food. They're referring to this miraculous provision of manna. Imagine with me the first day that they had manna. They've escaped captivity in Egypt. 
They've been brought through the Red Sea. They get out in the wilderness and they realize, uh-oh, we're out in the wilderness. There's no grocery store. How are we going to feed all these people? And God in his gracious provision provides manna, this free gift, this abundant gift, daily bread. What a miracle. How much did they celebrate that day? Thank you, Lord, for giving us the bread of life that will keep us alive. We won't die because of this. Thank you, God. And they woke up the next morning and the manna was there again. And they said, thank you, Lord, for this manna. What a miracle. And they woke up the third day and they said, thanks, God. And they woke up the fourth day and they said, this is pretty great. And they woke up the fifth day and they said, can you get some salt with that? And this daily miracle became boring to them after a while. And after 37 years, it was worse than boring. It was, in their words, loathsome. (laughs) Do you ever read the Bible and feel convicted of your own sin? I had this experience as I prepared for this sermon. Nancy and I went down to the Dominican Republic, an all-inclusive resort, just a few weeks ago to celebrate her finishing nursing school. We haven't done something like that since our honeymoon. We spent four days in this luxurious place, palm trees, beach, food and drinks, spa. It was awesome. And we discovered, though, that in the various restaurants around this resort, the food was, it was a little bland. Uh, you know, the descriptions on the menu were amazing. And we wondered, are we just spoiled because of the restaurants we have here in the New York City area? And I came home from the Dominican Republic, and people said, Pastor, how, how was your trip to the DR? And I said, oh, it was great. You know, the food was a little bland. A little bland. And I sat down to study for this scripture, and I see the people of God say this. I open up my Bible commentary to start preparing for this sermon, and I read this in the expositor's Bible commentary, that there was anything at all to eat was solely by God's mercy. To spurn a regularly occurring, abundant, and nutritious food only because it is boring is understandably human, a pitiable mark on our tendency toward ingratitude. A little bland. I read this and I just winced in my chair in the pastor's study. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm just like these people. We were in one of the most luxurious places imaginable. And I wasn't grateful for the miracle of food. Now, the people here, they've, they've sinned. They've been ungrateful. They spoke against God and Moses. And just like last week we saw, there's a consequence for sin. God sends a consequence for this offensive sin. Verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. So that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents. We have sinned. They realized their failure. They realized they have not lived up to the mark. They realize, just like I did in my pastor's study just a couple of days ago, I have been ungrateful. And in my ingratitude, I have spoken against the giver of the gift. We have sinned. They go before Moses to confess their sins. Every week here at Stanwich Church, we go to the communion table. And we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in us an awareness of our own sin, our own fallenness, our own failure. We collectively say these words. 
We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Forgive us, God. We realize we have not measured up. And in that awareness, in that recognition, we gain a new understanding of who we are and who God is, like Michaela Schifrin understanding new things in her inability to complete the race. So, Moses prays, end of verse 7. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, before I try to describe why God would give this instruction, I want to just talk about the influence of this story on world history. You ever notice the symbolatry on the side of an ambulance? You ever seen this? Go ahead and show that picture, Max. I'm sorry it's not a very good uh, resolution picture here, but do you see this? You see that symbol right there? That's a pole with a snake wrapped around it. There's another one here, another one here, another one here inside the logo, and on the front door. They're all over ambulances. Now, if you Google this, if you look on Wikipedia, they'll tell you that this symbol is called the Rod of Asclepius. That's actually a much later historical reference to this symbol. The Bible story that we've read today is the earliest example of the serpent on a pole. It later got absorbed into pagan mythology, the Rod of Asclepius, but this is the earliest version of it. In the instruction Moses, God gives to Moses, he says, tell the people to look upon the serpent on the pole and they will live. Look upon the serpent and they will live. That's why it's on an ambulance. The ambulance is coming. Healing, health is on its way. Look and live, right? You see the connection there? But there's a much deeper, much more important influence of this story on all of creation. You can take the picture down now, Max. Thank you. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent. The serpent invited Adam and Eve to fall, to disobey God's law, to experience the consequence of disobeying God's law. And they fell into temptation by listening to the serpent. And here the people of God, all these generations later, they experience what we call original sin. They have it as well. They're snake bit, so to speak by the same curse that Adam and Eve fell into. And we realize that as our original parents, we too have the same problem. I realized it when I came back from the DR and I was complaining about the food. I'm ungrateful. I spoke against the provider of the food, in effect. We are all snake bit. And God says, take the consequence of your sin, which in this case was the serpent who came and was biting their ankles, and place it on a pole. Put it on public display. Make a public spectacle out of it. So that when anybody looks upon it, they will be driven to repentance. They will be reminded of their failure. They will be reminded of the consequence of sin, you see. If you take the sin and put it on display, every time we see it, we say, Oh yes, I have sinned against him in thought, word, and deed. And it drives us to our knees. Now, the Old Testament version of this story might feel a little harsh. It kind of almost feels like condemnation, doesn't it? Look at the consequence of your sin. Ask for forgiveness. It's almost like taking a dog and rubbing its snout in the accident they did on the rug, isn't it? 
put the consequence of your sin on public display. Well, thank goodness there's a fuller version of the same story that happens in the New Testament. There's a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus knows full well the blessing and the curse of following or disobeying God's law. Nicodemus was a teacher of God's law. In fact, his nickname was the teacher of teachers. He was kind of a big deal. He knew God's law. He knew that when you obey God's law, you receive the blessing. He knew that when you disobey God's law, there are consequences, there are serpents that come in. He knew that there was condemnation in the curse of the law. But Nicodemus met somebody who was also a teacher of God's law, of God's truths, and this person really confounded and confused Nicodemus. He was really curious about him. His name was Jesus. And Nicodemus heard Jesus teach, and he heard Jesus talk, and he watched Jesus bless people, and he wondered, what's different about this man? And he was so curious that he went and he met with Jesus. He met with him in the dark of night so that no one would see that he's meeting with him because he had a reputation to uphold. Nicodemus would have known the story of the bronze serpent in the wilderness, the condemnation that we experience because of our fallenness and our failure. But Jesus was talking about love, the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. Jesus said that to Nicodemus. That's John 3.16. You can put that up. John 3.16. It's not about condemnation. It's about love. Well, do you know the two verses that come right before John 3.16? Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. Look at John 3.14 with me. These are the words of Jesus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must I, the Son of Man, be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's as if Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, let me illustrate this for you. Do you remember when the people of God were snake bit as a consequence of their sin and Moses put the consequences up as a public display? Jesus was saying the same thing will happen again for all the snake bit people in the whole world. Everybody who is stained by sin. The consequence, the curse of the law will be put up on display, but it won't be a bronze serpent on a pole. It'll be me. I will take the curse of the law. I will take the consequence of all your failures upon myself. And just like the people who just looked at it and lived, if you behold me upon the cross, if you see what happened there, if you see that it's your disobedience, your failure, your inability to obey the perfect law of God, that is the consequence that Jesus had to live under and die under. You will live forever. Because in exchange for taking the cur our curse upon himself, he gives us his grace. We don't have to live in condemnation from our sin. The Apostle Paul wrote it. He tried to describe it in his letter to the Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 13. He forgave us all our sins, Paul said having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, 
which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. He's taken away the condemnation. Did you know that? Is there anybody here who feels condemnation from your sin? It's one thing to realize when you've sinned, like I described in my study last week. It's another thing to feel condemned by it. Look what it says right here. He's taken away the condemnation. It's gone. Nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, just like the public spectacle of the serpent in the wilderness. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Look upon it. Look upon the cross and live. The consequences of all our sin, just like out in the wilderness, the consequences of all our sin has been put on public display. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. You might wonder, that's it? That's how I get to have eternal life, is just to look upon the cross? That's the scandal of the gospel. It worked for the thief who died next to him. He looked at the man on the middle cross and lived. Now, we are then called, once we realize that, once we behold him upon the cross, we're called into a life then of obedience. But it's the looking. I just want to linger on this for a second. It's the beholding of the man upon the cross that gives us eternal life. If you haven't noticed by now, Every time I preach, I try to mention what happened on the cross. Every time. That's one of the secrets to my preaching, now you know. I can't get, Patricia asked me yesterday, you know, she said, I got some family coming in from out of town for the funeral. Can you please just describe what happened on the cross? I want to make sure everybody there has a chance to hear that. Of course. Because if it's true, if Jesus is right, that looking upon him on the cross, beholding him there, realizing he's taken the curse, the consequence of all of our sin, just beholding him upon the cross gives us eternal life, then I'm never going to miss an opportunity to allow people to behold what happened on the cross. It's why we're doing what we're doing in Stamford, so that all those residents of Stamford can have that opportunity to behold the man upon the cross who took the curse for them. Because if they behold that moment in history, they will have eternal life. This is our motivation for evangelism. Now, is that the whole story? You know, a lot of times people say about my preaching, if I get feedback where people want a little bit more, they say, can you give us some practical takeaways? Thank you for the gospel every week, but we need some practical takeaways. All right, so I'll give you some. Give you a couple today. Stay tuned next week, because next week is that New Testament passage that says, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. So you'll get, a, you'll get your dose next week of um, practical takeaways. But for this story, for this story, I have a couple. The first one I really need to speak to myself and to all of us. What I really want to say is the first practical takeaway is stop complaining. You know, they're like the people in the wilderness, daily manna, the miracle of provision, and they complained about it. I do the same. I want to put it in positive terms, though, and say to all of us be grateful. Be grateful. You know, the, the people started complaining eventually about the manna. How many of us, you know, when we first moved into our house, thought it was so great, 
And then just some months or years later, we, we thought it was too small or all we saw was the things wrong with it. And we take a blessing and we learn to complain about it. Or you got your kid into that really good school, so happy about it. And a couple years later, you're complaining that the teachers aren't attentive enough to your kid. I mean, we do this all the time. These miracles that God gives us and we become ungrateful. And we just pause and think, Lord, you have supplied. Thank you. The roof over our head right now breath in our lungs, the love in this church. Hmm. Thank you, God. There's a practical takeaway. Another one has everything to do with this truth that we've just heard from Scripture, that if we behold him upon the cross, we live. So the practical takeaway I have for us on that is um, what many of you are already doing. If it's true that when we have those moments, those behold moments we live, we ought to be bringing friends to have that behold moment. It's been so fun the last few months meeting so many new friends. I just smiled at the Capuanos. You guys brought some friends. Where are they? Where did your friends go? Oh, they went downstairs in the comfort room? Okay. But so many of you are doing that. And it's because we have this behold moment every Sunday. Lord, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And then we look upon the cross in the eyes of our heart. And we experience, we taste eternity in that moment. And we will taste it for all eternity together. So bring a friend into that moment. You'll be giving the gift of eternal life. And as we launch Stanford, we'll need lots of friend invitations. Because we're all snake bit. But God has provided a way, not to condemn us, but to take the curse upon himself and set us free for all of eternity. Amen.